episode 39. Episode 39. Episode 39. We always on your line. Okay. It's 2019. And first episode of the year, season three of Goodnight Harlem. I am Avia. I am Law. And if you guys don't know what you're about to get yourselves into, we're about to have a real conversation about the whole losing of black women's overall uh, livelihoods because of R. Kelly. I feel like R. Kelly has got to be stopped. But before we get into the main topic, which is that we have hyper good nights that have everything to do with that same topic. The Surviving R. Kelly documentary series on Lifetime is going to be the majority of our conversation today. And let's start with Hyper Good Nights. Um, For those of you who haven't watched this series, disclaimer, we're ruining everything for you. So And you had a week to watch it. And so much has come out since then. So it really is your fault. And uh, for those of you who's the first time watching, listening to our show... Uh, Hyper Good Nights are our way of doing trending topics, and we basically hype things that we like, we goodnight things that we don't like. So, Avia, let's start with this. Hyper Good Night to canceling Torre uh, for his sexual harassment towards his coworker after doing the Surviving R. Kelly documentary. Uh, I personally, I don't know if we should cancel him as a whole. The only reason I say that is because it seems like there are some comments that were made um, with the makeup artist and that whole crew that worked with him on a show a couple years ago. And things like him asking her if she had sex and he wondered what it felt like to have sex with her and everything like that. Anal sex, let's be specific. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, Amongst other things. And his apology when she came out um, recently, I guess, um, he said that the nature of their commentary with that cast and the crew and everything was very crass. And that's the way they spoke to each other. And he might have had it misunderstood thinking that she was okay with that. Um, I don't know. I feel like I'm at this point where I really don't know what to think anymore. Um, some people take things a certain way and some people don't even realize that someone's taking it a certain way. So if the girl didn't speak up at the time that it was happening, how would Ture know that he was offending her? And I, I, I almost feel like that's what happened in this situation. And maybe she realized that it affected her and she didn't appreciate the fact that he was on a documentary about a person who had uh, sexual allegations against him when she felt like Ture um, was doing something along those lines. Not Not as serious, of course, but maybe she felt like he was being a little hypocritical based off of their situation that she encountered and felt like she should speak up. But was it a problem for her at the time that it happened? And I think that if nothing was done at the time that it was happening, I'm not saying that it's her fault or his fault. All I'm saying is that how is he supposed to know? If that's the nature of how everyone speaks and no one says anything against it, how is anyone supposed to know if someone's uncomfortable? Not to say that it's okay to be crass in a work environment, but something should be said. 
All right, my, my response to that is uh, I'm good nighting the cancellation of him, and here's why. Um, I think when we talk about canceling somebody, and everybody has their own opinions about this, and people may say that you shouldn't be able to speak on whether or not uh, a man should be canceled for something that he's done towards a woman, and I, I can appreciate that being a sentiment too. Everybody's entitled to their own opinion. But the reason why I don't believe in this instance he should be canceled is because ultimately this these are crass comments and in a work setting like that's what he's doing uh this doesn't to me represent me too because he's not holding a job over her or anything of that nature um but what i will say is it does just speak to the volume of how men don't realize when they're harassing women and don't realize that their language could feel uh inappropriate and it's childish what he was doing. It's inappropriate for the work setting what he was doing. But to say I'm going to cancel him over asking to see nudes or asking for sex or asking if he can do something with her. No, I'm not canceling you over that. I'm just going to say you have trash ways of talking to women. And it's childish and you should like probably do better. But to cancel you over that. There's two different conversations, so I'm good night. Can I can I just also add, and I, I completely forgot about this until you were talking. Yeah. That I think I have a hard time hyping or good nighting him because I honestly thought Tere was gay until this came out. So, <laughs> so when this came out, I'm like, oh, if he said any of those things to me, I would probably take that in stride too because I don't think he's heterosexual, and. That was just my thing. I was just kind of shocked by that. So, All right, moving right along with this. So, in the wake of the Surviving R. Kelly docuseries, Dream Hampton, who was the lead in putting this whole thing together for Lifetime, has come under a lot of scrutiny and backlash from a bunch of people, a bunch of sides, whether it's women, men, etc., for not necessarily doing her due diligence. And so... She placed a bunch of people into this docuseries commenting on R. Kelly's actions. And it seems as if some of these people have shaky history. One being Torre, another being Charlamagne the God, another one being Joe Button. And if you don't know their history, Torre clearly with the sexual misconduct towards his coworker, uh, Charlemagne allegedly had given uh, a woman some kind of a, a sedative or drug before having sex and they had sex although she came back and said it was fine i was cool with this but he admitted and owned up to him doing that when he was younger and then joe button being accused of not only beating but potentially having uh forcing himself on one of his exes now for her to come back and make a statement of she didn't know about specifically charlemagne and torrey people felt like she didn't do her due diligence Avia, what is your take on the backlash that Dream Hampton is receiving? Do you hyper good night the backlash that she's getting? In regards to these particular people that she's had on the show? Yes. Um I I'm going to oh God, I'm gonna I gotta hype night it. The only reason I'm hype nighting oh it We got our first hype night. I'm sorry, I have to. I don't think she was aware of the Touré incident because I don't think the world was aware of the Touré incident until this came out. Um, so I don't know if she would have known about that. Um, the Charlemagne incident, you know, when that came out, supposedly he had raped a girl 
and uh, there was charges pressed against him. But when it came down to submitting DNA and everything like that, they found that there was nothing of his DNA in conjunction to what happened with that girl. She also wasn't being very, um, what's the word? Uh, she wasn't work. She wasn't working well with the investigators on the case as well. So, in that case, I, it's a little shaky. But you know, I read Charlemagne's first book, and he actually talks about things in his past that he's done that he regrets. And I do feel like, as a man, he has changed. And I think that a lot of times when we hear that a man has a man has done something, we want to cast stones on them until they die. And people change, and people grow, and people evolve, and Whatever happened back then with Charlemagne, I don't believe that's who he is today. The man has three daughters. Um, and well, hold I, on, but but when when women are put into a certain subject and mm-hmm. boxed into a certain thing, like if somebody calls a woman a hoe, she could be the hoe for the rest of her life, and she never gets out of being. That I don't think people. that's fair either. So okay, I'm just making sure. I you're mean, keeping that same uh, energy. I mean, yeah, of course, I would never be that contradicting and be like, well, a hoe is always a hoe, but uh. Or a convicted rapist is not always a convicted rapist. Like my my thing is people change and labels should change as well. If that person has shown that they have become a, a better person, their label should change. And they should not be attached to something that was them then, but not them now. You know? I think that's that's only fair. The Joe Budden situation, I feel like that's that's a little bit shaky. I feel like if she wanted to add someone who would have added some value to the documentary, um, in this case, it would be a woman. I was thinking Iyanla Van Zant. That would have been an amazing person to have on here. And I know she has very controversial views in the way that she positions things, but I feel like it's someone who has been through sexual abuse, violence, domestic violence, and situations like this who could actively speak on it in a way from her own perspective, like not even just her opinion, but someone who has actually gone through it herself. So if she wanted to replace any of those men with someone else, she could have replaced them with her. And that would have been completely okay. My stance is I am hyping the backlash that she was receiving. And a part of the reason why I'm hyping is because if you're going to be the person to put together a docu-series dedicated towards either someone being a predator, somebody being a predator, Someone that's forcing themselves upon women, someone that's a master manipulator, and someone that's uh, basically, I I can almost put him as a catalyst of rape culture. And then you're going to, you're going to bring on people that have either in some capacity done something in the similar vein to what this person has done. It's contradictory. All she had to do was do basic level due diligence. Or her team would have had to do it. But if you're the leader, it's up to you to tell your team, look into these things before they happen. And I don't think they did their due diligence. So any of the backlash that comes from that should come from that. I work in branding. I work in marketing. So if we as a company put out something like a Pepsi ad, we should have done focus groups. We should have done our due diligence. We should have had multiple people of different backgrounds in a room before this ad ever gets on air to be able to know what the the temperature in the room is going to be like before we put something out. She didn't do her due diligence. Lifetime didn't do their due diligence. So all around, that's a bad thing. So I'm accepting the backlash. I'm hyping it. If you guys want to say she fucked up, she fucked up. Well, okay. Let me play devil's advocate here. Say she decides to put comment on. 
mm-hmm. and have Common speak on his two cents on what's going down in the music industry and you know pe- people turning a blind eye to to things that are obvious. And then after the docu series comes out, a girl comes out against Common and says, "Well, back in 2004, when Common was first starting out, he came out and he did this to me." Now at that point, are we going to blame Dream Hampton for putting Common? in her docu-series when there's been nothing about Common mentioned in the past about him. Your due diligence does not necessarily have to just be the words that are printed out to the public. Your due diligence is also talking directly to the people. She never asked Charlemagne about that, but she wishes he would have brought it up himself. That's her fault. I agree. She didn't actually interview Joe Budden. She took a clip from Joe Budden's actual episode of the podcast. She didn't have to do that. She could have talked to anybody about. She could have just not had Joe Budden. No, in she could have talked about all. anybody about his allegations and done that. Again, she did not talk to Torrey about anything that she had done. She had brought him in there because he was the person that did the R. Kelly interview, which we all remember to this day. Do you like teenage girls? And then R. Kelly's response, of course, is. A teenage how old are we talking? So because of all these things, she was only focused on creating a narrative. I'm fine with you creating a narrative, but understand when you create that narrative, that narrative has to fall across anybody that you have in this. That's you know it. what I think is unfortunate, though? What I think is an unfortunate thing that has been proven to be shown, especially from this docuseries and other things, is that it's almost like you don't even know who to trust in the music industry. You don't even know who's a safe person to put in anything because at any given moment, the other shoe could drop and something could come out about them that no one even knew about. Right. So that's why I kind of feel like hype nighting this whole thing because, like you said, she didn't have to include Joe Budden's thing. She didn't have to necessarily have Charlemagne in. She could have had someone else. But the Torrey thing, I feel like, is an example of someone where maybe it wasn't even a known thing until this girl came out and said, I was uncomfortable when I worked with Torrey two years ago. And maybe that wasn't even in the industry as a rumbling about him. But... That's what I'm saying. It's very tricky when you do something like this. I'm still okay with the backlash. I'm the yeah. same person that's saying that we shouldn't cancel Torrey, but I, at the same time, I can have the opinion that you should accept any backlash that comes to you if you didn't true. do proper due That's true. I agree with that. All right. Uh, on the final note of our Hyper Good Nights, a Chicago judge is ordering an inspection of R. Kelly's Chi-Town Studios after the docuseries has aired. Um... Kelly's lawyers wanted 30 days, but the judge has only given them five days prior to the inspection. So R. Kelly's team uh, has already been notified that they're going to go in there and do a quick inspection. Um, Hyper good night to the judge coming down and stating that they want to have an inspection of his Chicago studio. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to hype it because I wouldn't good night something that needs to be done. And that should have been done years ago. Um, (laughs) The one thing that I have an issue with is the fact that they're giving them so much time. And even when you were telling me about this, I'm like, they're giving them five whole days? That's a whole work week. That's 24 hours times five. They have that much time to get rid of any evidence they have that could be used against them. Right. Anything. They could clear out that whole studio. Right. And that's what's going to happen. They're not going to find anything because they have five days to clear out everything. If there's a bed in the studio, they're breaking it down. If there's a if there's a a big tub of tapes, they're taking them out, right? Or burning them, or putting them on MP3s and and sending them away. Like, I think that's blasphemy. Like, I I can't even believe 
that that's happening. And it's almost making me wonder, are they doing this because they feel the need to take some action because of what people are expecting of them at this point? And they're giving them five days to try and just, you know, cover up the evidence so they don't have to go further into the investigation and say, oh, we didn't find anything. So that's it. Like, that's what's making me wonder. So it's like, on one hand, I want to hype it and just say, like, I'm glad this is happening. But on the other hand, I'm like, five days, my guy? Five days? I don't even know what the law is for that. What is it supposed to be? It's supposed to be 30 days? That's insane. <laughs> you giving I mean, somebody a whole month to prove that they're not guilty? And now you're knocking it down to a work week? That's too easy. I'm sorry. That's way too easy. Um, what do you think? I'm good nighting them going there. I'm good nighting the inspection. Because you feel like they should have done it Hello? 15 years ago? Hello? But we we can't. Hello? No, 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 no. I want to make this very, very clear. There has to be law enforcement that's capable of helping parents when the when parents are trying to at least hear from their children. And what you saw through that docu series is the legal system is not set up to work if you have an adult. Oh no! As a child. Oh like yeah. It, it's a it's a wrap. Oh, it's a wrap. So with all that being said, I don't know exactly what they plan on trying to accomplish. What exactly are you trying to inspect is my question. I'm like, really, what's the charge? You you, you saw the, the VH1 special and you're like, ah, I mean, you know, the inspection is going to take place on January 16th. So we're going to come get them. January 16th. Is that when it's happening? Mm-hmm. That's Aaliyah's birthday. What but, the fuck? But this is what... <laughs> Wow. So the owners wow. of the building also want uh, this search to be done. They're demanding the search as well, saying they don't even have access to their own building. Apparently, the city's attorney has come back and said, okay, well, we're going to make this happen as soon as possible. I said all that to say, I think there is something to be said about the fact that he hasn't been able to pay his bills and that he'll potentially end up losing this place anyway because it's 20000 plus per month and he hasn't been keeping up with his 20,000 plus per month and there's he probably has another two months to where he has to get out anyway I think this will just set that path quicker so you clean everything out you don't have to worry about anything you you gave yourself you have a five-day cushion to clean things up I think what's happening down there though with groups of people lined up uh either you know marching picketing and they're in front of the studio saying let the girls out and all this stuff all that sounds great in theory, but it does nothing. The same way the cops can't just come in there and bust something down unless they have a warrant. So none of this means anything ultimately if there is nothing he's done that's wrong. Period. So I don't know what they're doing this for. I feel like it's a show of force. Like cops tend to do this a lot. And like, you know, big cities, they tend to try to show force in some way. And this is their way of showing force. Show force if you want, but you got to do better than this. I mean, and it has to be better than something that was nationally broadcast to hit 2 million people. And you're like, oh, 2 million people saw something. So now we got to do something about it. We can't forget the ties that R. Kelly has to uh, Chicago PD either. <laughs> he, got, we'll go he, got, he got besties all up in the precinct. So are they the ones working with him on this, on this five-day uh, leeway time? Like, 
it's it, something in the milk ain't clean. Sorry, I don't really trust police right now. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, no, um, all right. So let's transition to the main topic. Um, as you guys know, we already talked about how surviving R. Kelly, the the series in itself, would be our main topic today. What I want to do, I want to start this off by us giving both of our perspectives on what we saw in the docuseries and kind of where we are right now before we get into a lot of the heavier conversation around this. So I want to start with you. Like, where did, where, Avia, give me your take, like what you thought after watching the six part docuseries. Well, before I even get to that point, I just want to let the audience know, and Law knows this because we actually, <laughs> we rehashed this today, but um, I wanted to talk, well, I initially wanted to talk about R. Kelly eight months ago after I saw the BBC documentary on him, Sex, Lies, and Videotape. There was a part one and a part two that came out March or April of last year, and it actually chronicled Kitty Jones as one of his survivors. It actually chronicled um, uh, Joycelyn Savage's parents and them trying to get her out of um, R. Kelly's house. It chronicled uh, one of the moms, I don't remember who, trying to save one of her kids, her daughters, from the captivity that she believed her daughter to be in and actually meeting her and and trying to get her out. And it, it, it was a failed attempt. Um, it also chronicled R. Kelly's brother, went to his house, talked to him about um, what happened when he was framed as the person in the sex tape. It chronicled his manager that was there at the time that Aaliyah forged her her fake age for them to get married. And I had so much to say after I saw this last year. I talked to Law about it and I'm like, we have to talk about this. And then I just couldn't. I couldn't because it was so much. I did not know where to begin. And that is exactly where I sit today, times 10. She's extremely hesitant about doing this episode. And this is one of the few things where I feel like she she gets a little like invested emotionally, um, and I, and I think the part of it is one of her favorite artists of all times is attached to this as well. I think that plays into this heavy. Maybe it's not. I never even thought about it's not that. Though. Just it's not just these women. It's also you're you're tied to Aaliyah in a way, and then you're also tied to. Oh, R. you're talking Ke- about Aaliyah. Okay, no, I thought you were talking about. R. Kelly. I'm talking about Aaliyah. Oh well, yeah. I'm not actually even talking about R. Kelly okay. in that instance. Okay. Because on the flip side, the R. Kelly component of it gets you to go, oh man, have I been like believing a fallacy? It, it puts me in a weird position. I don't like being placed in a weird position. Uh-huh. I like knowing exactly where I stand with something. So if I don't know where I stand with something or I, I feel uneasy about it, it's hard for me to talk about it. Yeah. And that's what I'm being forced to do today. <laughs> um, and I feel like it's important for us to talk about it because the reason why this has happened for so long is because people aren't talking about it. It's an uncomfortable thing to bring up. And I have no ties to R. Kelly. The only tie I have to him is the fact that I'm also from Chicago. Um my aunt actually, she used to, uh, she's actually designed clothes for him. Like when he was first coming up, like his vibe video and everything like that. That's as close as her ties have gotten to him. But that's as close as I've gotten to R. Kelly. So I'm not even emotionally invested in him 
or anything, but it's hard for me to talk about this because yes, Aaliyah is attached to it, but even more so as a woman, I I need to have a stance on this and I need to know exactly where I feel and where I stand. And it's it's hard to figure this out because it's so much tied to it. What I've learned from the documentary that I didn't already know from the BBC um, show was that his alleged victims range from 13 to 45. Like there is really no limit almost. And what it also showed me was that while the 13 year olds, the 14, the 16 and 17 year olds have a certain type of, um, you know, we feel we feel for those women that were in those positions because they were too young to be in a position like that and know how to handle themselves properly. I can see how there's backlash against a 33 year old or a 45 year old or a 29 year old who was put in that position. And it's unfortunate. It's pretty wow. unfortunate. But I had to look at this from a very outside scope of view and say everyone did not grow up in a loving two-parent household and how someone grew up the type of relationships they were in affects the type of relationships they will be in in the future so if they had a horrible um upbringing or they had daddy issues or they never you know had a father or they were looking for love in all the wrong places because their mom wasn't around to guide them or dad wasn't around to guide them, then yes, they are going to get caught up in a situation like this at 28. And that's something that I had to like personally in my mind internally as watching this had to look at because I was looking at these older victims like, girl, are you serious? I wasn't shaming her. I was just kind of like, what? type of childhood did you have to be placed in this situation as a grown-ass woman who knows better, who knows of him, who has lived life outside of high school? So um, that was one thing. Uh, the, the Andrea Kelly stuff with his wife was another thing that I was a little shocked about. Um, I, I really don't know what to say. It's, it's a lot. It's a lot to take in. And what's interesting is the trickle effect of other things that have come out since then. I wish the BBC documentaries would have gotten this kind of traction last year. Because, and I know it's not going to because it's BBC. It's not right. Lifetime. Right. It's on a gonna, major American network. That. But the fact that this is the, the highest ratings Lifetime has gotten in two years Um says a lot to me it says one we're paying attention to um what really surprised me was the types of people that are watching it i had white guys at my job coming back the next day saying oh my gosh did you see that r kelly docuseries guys i wouldn't even think would have even cared and so now we have a different genre of people that are exposed to it white people or non-black people and I'm interested in seeing how this is going to play out. All right. I have around five or six things as a core summation. First thing, and these are going to be quick. I'm going to rattle them off and I'll do with these what you may. 
So my thoughts on the overarching theme of the Ark, surviving R. Kelly docuseries are as follows. Black women's lives don't matter to the legal system. That's number one. Number two, opportunities mean more to people than their families do. Number three, parents should always know what's happening in their child's lives. Number four, having the mentality of not having enough can help to push push or foster the cult mentality into anybody. Number four, hurt people hurt people. Mm-hmm. Being mm-hmm. molested at an early age can definitely put something on anyone. Uh, and then finally, Lifetime found out in 2016 that black audiences are watching TV at higher rates than other uh ethnic groups and therefore they've been creating content to try to own that piece of the market with their primetime television specials everything from series about whitney houston to what you see about r kelly and morris to come so lifetime i see what you're doing i'm not okay with it but i have to be because you've creating a niche for yourself you're not okay with it because you feel like they're taking advantage exploiting so that's it those are my five or six overarching thoughts coming out of it but if the exploitation can bring something that hasn't been brought before which Mm -hmm. is justice Mm -hmm. i don't have a problem with that that's fine um but i still don't have to be okay with you using um things that are happening to us for ratings you created a six-part docu-series which could have been you could have did this in like less than an hour or two, to be blatantly honest. But you created a six-part docu series, having people they come back They couldn't have done this in you less than an hour. You absolutely no, could have done no, this. No, in, no, no, at, no. At, at max, no. This should you did not need to be more than Why? two hours. So here's my opinion of this. A lot of this is over dramatized. A lot of it, and it's sad to say something like this, which is so serious, is over dramatized. Because you literally can give each pocket of a story in a shorter form and then give interviews after you've given the story and be done with it and move to the next. That's not how they did it. HBO does it all the time. A&E does it all the time. They stretch this out on purpose for ratings. That's fine that you did that because you want to make money. But I, as a consumer watching, can also call you on your shit. Period. I, I this per- wasn't like the, the 30 for 30 with OJ. Let me be very clear. Like the 30 for 30 for OJ is long as fuck. And they were making a larger point around not only what was happening with black lives and what that means in America, but talking about America as a society and how race is never addressed and how this thing meant one thing to certain people and this thing meant another thing to other people. They aren't trying to make any of those things. They're just trying to create one formal narrative. That's I, I, it. I can agree with you on the formal narrative, and I feel like they 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 because they had six episodes, they could have fit some of, some of that into it. Why are people so invested in Harvey Weinstein and not not R. Kelly? They could have made those comparisons. I do agree with that, but the magnitude of what has transpired in this R. Kelly situation. I don't know if it would have hit people as hard as it's hitting them if it was condensed into an hour. I don't know that for sure. If you were to condense this into an hour, 
the stories that these victims told would not have been as detailed. Um, we wouldn't have gotten all of the stories. We wouldn't have had all the victims. I don't think there's any possible way. Okay, cool. Not an hour. That's why I said one to two. So give it. I don't even think two hours. And that's I really why I don't disagree e- with you. I really don't and even think. Fine. I'm not saying it had to be six. I'm just saying that the fact that it was six is to me what made this so impactful. Nah, the woman's giving their testimony and backing into it is impactful, but. To follow a family throwing rocks at a like it's a docu series. Come on, man! Come on, you're dramatizing this stuff. They're you not, are in the BBC. But you are in the BBC documentary. They show the same thing. Not not the family, Joycelyn Savage, Savage's family throwing rocks, but they showed an incident of parents trying to get their daughter back. Mm-hmm. And so for us to say, oh, you're trying to dramatize it. This is not a, a, a situation that needs to be traumatized. It's already dramatic. And I think that's I the love point that, you that said I'm this trying to... isn't a situation that needs to be dramatized. Meanwhile, they get to the point of, oh, we're getting up to the door. We're going to call the cops. The cops say, no, let's stop and go to commercial. And let's come back after the commercial. That's dramatizing it. By definition. Where you choose to cut the commercial? Exactly. Oh, let me make sure you come back. Like, this is all to dramatize it. And then we're not going to actually get back to this scene for another, I don't know, Two commercials, and then we come back to the scene. So That's talking, dramatizing. You're, so you're talking about the way that they laid out the show is what and, is and it, what I'm is telling you. They could have condensed this down so much if they didn't try to layer on and expand for dramatiz- trauma dramatization. I think you're looking at it from a media perspective as opposed to a consumer pers- perspective. I'm doing both. Yeah, because there's tons of people that I know that feel the same way I do. Like this was long for no reason. Why was this so long? And how do they feel about what they saw? It was too drawn out. And it that was, was like, their total consensus. No, wait, wait. What are they? I'm talking about in, in terms of timing specifically. It felt like it was way too long for the amount of information we got. So then, why did they continue watching it? Because they thought there was going to be something else that would come up that would be like jarring. And so it the wasn't. so the docu series was six hours too long, and it was not jarring enough for some people. So six hours could have been condensed to two. If it was in two hours and it wasn't jarring enough for these said people, would they would have been okay with two no, hours of like the time imagine, being wasted? Imagine you watching the full thing and you getting out of it only around two hours of content that makes you go, oh, that's something that I wouldn't have known. Oh, that's something that's crazy. Or, oh, wow, I didn't realize that this was happening. But then the rest of the content that you're getting is just filler. I have That's to say, I have to say, if Lifetime interviewed everyone they interviewed for this docu series and decided to cut major parts out in order to condense it to two hours, I would feel like they are not telling the story the way that it should be told. And I'm sure there's parts they did cut out. I'm not, and it, and I think that's what's hard in this situation is to figure out what's important and what's not. And who are you to say, well, this is not important enough because we need to condense this for our narrative. And sorry, your part of the story that you thought was important didn't make the cut. You know what I'm saying? Like, at, at what point is that okay to do in a situation like this? I don't think that it is okay. And I don't think that there is a right or a wrong. But I think that the point where you're like, oh, well, this should have been condensed. You're condensing stories of people who never spoken before. All right. Now, let's move on to... So we're going to break this off into sections because there's a lot to talk about with the R. Kelly uh, surviving R. Kelly docu series. Um, the first thing, and both of us have 
a lot of views on this. So it is who's who's at fault in all of this. And at the core of this, Robert Kelly is at the most fault by a mile. It is not even close. It is his choice. He is doing things that are, in some cases, illegal. In other cases, 100% legal. But it is manipulation at its core. So I want to start with our, like, like with Robert in general. With all the stuff that you saw in the, the docuseries and etc., how much of this do you feel like is just him taking advantage of not only his celebrity, but taking advantage of people, and in this case, women for the most part, black women, um, taking advantage of them when he feels like he can capitalize off of their weakness? No, oh, 100%. So you put, so for you though, it's 100% his fault, all of what's happened with this. Well, it, it, it's it's an interesting thought because you can say, well, if he didn't do this, then none of this would have been happening. That's fair. He had to initiate it. Mm-hmm. Um, but other factors had to but come into he, play but, but in order he, for him to do it but successfully. did he have to initiate it? Because in a lot to, of instances, he didn't have to initiate shit. But he had to carry through with it. Wait, wait, wait. But in a lot of instances... He didn't have to initiate shit. If 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 Genuine had a underage fan coming up to him and wanting to go to his hotel room, he has the option to say yes or no. That's true. So my thing is, in a lot of instances, he did initiate it. And at the point, if he didn't initiate it, he wasn't turning it down. <laughs> That's fair. So at the end of the day, I'm not saying everything is, is his fault, but what I'm saying is, Without him being the person that he is, none of this would have happened. Now, there had to be other factors into play in order for it to all come together. That's facts, too. That had to happen. That had to be. We can't ignore that. But at the end of the day, his jacked up childhood drove him. And I won't even say that that is a complete thing that we can blame because he has a brother, Carrie Kelly, who he blames and pinpointed as being the person that was supposed to be in his sex tape when it was actually him, um, who grew up in the same household as him and did not turn out like this. So at some point, someone needs to take um, accountability for their actions. You know what I'm saying? You have two people that grew up in the same household, two people that were both molested by their sister, and one turns out being a molester, a pedophile, um, controlling narcissist, whatever, and the other one turns out not. How does that happen? That's what I want to know. Well, here's my thing. Uh, yes, Robert was molested when he was younger. And yes, there are several instances that will prove that if a child deals with something like that at a very early age, and in his case, he came to like the molestation. And actually, when you start talking to a lot of celebrity men, black men specifically, everybody from Charlemagne to Lil Wayne, etc., there's tons of people that will kind of back similar things to what R. Kelly would even say about himself. From the ages of 8 to 14 specifically, R. Kelly became okay with the molestation that he was dealing with. It was from a, an older woman, quote unquote. 
Who was his sister? Hello? So, <laughs> so this was happening, and it, at a certain point, it stopped. And then what triggers in your mind, based on psych- psychological factors, to then want to, in some way, shape, or form, recreate that same sensation? Or how can I perpetuate my dominance over someone in the same way? Once that clicks in your mind, I don't know how you turn it off. I don't know what that means because I'm not a psychologist. I can't speak to how that should go. I can't tell somebody else how they should respond to that. But what I can say is he didn't have anyone around him to seek help. And I wish he did. I wish there would have been some family members like, yo, you need help. But that didn't happen. Mm -hmm. I know money could play into that because they were poor, dirt poor. And I also understand that in our community, specifically the African-American community, us seeking help has always been taboo until the power of the last five years, for God's sake, which is even weirder. Right. So at the point that he's never seeked help, and I'm not making excuses for him, what I'm saying is that has played into what he has tried to replicate in his own behavior. And in my eyes, I would say he is 80% at fault. And his team is the other 20% at fault. Oh, if we're breaking it down like that? I'm saying in in, in response to his actions. In the general sense? In response to his actions. It's not just him. Because he needs people to placate his actions to make them okay. You don't think the parents have any percentage in this? Well, I'm going to speak on them in a different light. But I mean, you're not even going to add them into this? Not into R. Kelly's behavior. I'm only speaking on R. Kelly's behavior. Okay. When you talk about the whose fault, when it comes to R. Kelly's portion of this, it's not just him. I can't just go, oh, this is 100% him because you need people around you. Well, in that case, I feel like it should be at at least like a 75-25 thing. How? He's still the mind behind I know, he's 75. (laughs) He's had 25 years of a team or teams that have agreed to play part That's also true. in his in his pedophilia. He's had 20 25 years of people that have agreed to stick by him and let this happen. Not only let it happen but facilitate it and get the girls and bring them in and book their flights. So let's talk about his entourage in general cuz that was going to be the next section anyway. So with his entourage and what you were learning through the docu series as well as other things that you've watched from BBC and etc. Where do you where do you stand when you hear the conversations that they're having about relationships that he's had, about some of the things that he's done? And they're very open and honest about, well, yeah, it didn't matter if the girl was, you know, 16 or 20. As long as she had a big ass, he was trying to have sex. I think that uh, anyone who was attached to him during this time period and had anything to do with uh recruiting these girls i'll say um at the end of the day all they cared about was a paycheck and that's just real at the end of the day all they cared about was feeding their families making sure they had a roof over their head and doing whatever boss man told them to do now okay if that's if that's your stance on that then if jail time was going to happen how would you divide up the time then do you are you giving them as much time as you're giving R. Kelly, 
Or where where's your stance in that? Oh, gosh. I don't know. I don't know. Because my thought is if you corroborated this and you didn't work with authorities and you didn't tell authorities and you didn't bring this to anyone's attention and you yourself suppressed this information to get a check, in my opinion, you're also just as liable as that person. I can agree to that. So then whatever time that guy is getting, you should be getting. Well, I don't know about that. Only because... Um Say say he had a, I don't know a manager that worked with him for five years. Yeah. And not to say that he shouldn't get jail time. He should definitely get jail time for recruiting girls and playing a part in this. But if R. Kelly has been doing this for longer than five years, then if he gets life in jail, I don't think the guy who did it for five years should get life. Maybe he should get forty five years. I if don't that know. That person's recruiting for you. I think you should get whatever time he's getting. Now, on the flip side, if R. Kelly says to his, you know, the people behind him, hey, we'll kill you if you say anything, that's different. If you've been threatened, if R. Kelly has threatened you that he would kill you if you spoke on it, then there's a different thing. Some of the people that were working for him were threatening the parents and the families of the girls who were trying to save them. So and let, let, and that's another situation well, let, right let, there. So, so let's not get only, right into that. You're not you, you, you're you. not only um, handling underage women and putting them in in danger of a ped a pedophile, but you're also making sure that they can't get out of the situation by threatening families that are trying to get their children back. So let's segue. Segue directly into the conversation around parents. And I want to lead this one because specifically the parent conversation lends itself to two key things, in my opinion. The first one being Aaliyah and then the second one being Rashana Lanfer. Rashana Lanfer. Let me get her name correct. So there's a lot of parents involved with this. But those are the two that I want to start with. So Aaliyah specifically met R. Kelly between the ages of, I believe, 12, 12 and 13, mm -hmm. somewhere in there. And he had already been producing. He had been working in the industry. And R. Kelly and her hit it off really well. Her parents were trying their hardest to make sure that her voice would be heard by everybody because that's all she ever wanted. That's it. They're trying to make sure that they can be the parents that manifest their daughter's largest dream into a reality. Now, what does that actually mean, though? That means that there is going to be times in their opinions where they would have to leave her in a studio with an adult man. Without supervision. Now, they would not corroborate that. Her mom says we were always there. I have a hard time believing that. Why do you have a hard time believing that? I have a hard time believing that. Because with everything that's been stated about R. Kelly and everything about how he runs his manipulationship is what I'm calling it. There's no way that that's they were there. That's a good word for it. There's no way that they were there at all times. I think there is revisionist history that her mother is playing in this because her father's not around anymore. He's no longer here. 
But there's revisionist history that her mom has because her mom doesn't want to be the parent that's looked at as if you did not defend your daughter against the predator. And I think there's got to be some reality there when you look back and go, well, what was I doing? Was I doing all I could? Was I being there in every way that I could possibly have been to stop anything from potentially happening to my daughter? And the reason why I'm saying all this is because I had parents that were very hands-on in every single thing Mm -hmm. that I did. I'm not saying that that's possible for every parent, but I'm saying I had parents that were that way. Now, if you as a parent are as invested as you say you were in your kid's life, you would know exactly how much time she's spending with said man. You would be in that studio or you would know somebody within that studio that could stop something like that from happening. Mm -hmm. At the time when them two met, I believe R. Kelly was probably around 24. Mm -hmm. Yep, he was. So R. Kelly, as a 24-year-old grown man, meeting Aaliyah at 12, I don't know what would make you believe that it's okay to leave the quote-unquote producer with somebody that's that young without your own supervision. And I think there is a part of R. Kelly who's the master manipulator that convinces them that you'll be, she'll be fine in my hands. And if this plays out the way that it has played out with every other child, he's used his manipulation tactics, got the parents to agree that this was an opportunity that they could not turn down. And the minute he was alone with her, he started the manipulation cycle of you don't need anybody else but me. And we don't need anybody else. It's us against the world. We need to start creating something. They're working on creating her dream, but at the same time, she starts to garner feelings for him. And then out of nowhere, his mother dies. His mother dies, and then that ties them together and bonds them even more in Aaliyah's young brain. Do I think Aaliyah went out of her way and said, I want to marry you? Or do I believe on the flip side that R. Kelly went out of his way and said, I want you to marry me? Because he believed that that was... The right thing to do. He loved her in his mind. And she didn't know. There was a supposed pregnancy scare as well. She didn't know what love was. But this was as close as she'd come to it. So in my mind, you as parents failed her. Now people can get mad at me for saying that. But I genuinely believe that if that she genuinely got married. And their soul certificates are real. Because I do believe that they're real. They are real. (laughs) He most likely forged not only her age, but her parents' signatures because you needed that consent from the parents. They did not get that, which means in the eyes of the law, that never truly happened, which her parents can stand on that. But that also means you guys weren't there. Because there's no way that that document is produced and you have no knowledge of it if you are there. Those two things can't happen. So who's lying? The court documents or your parents? I said all that to say, I don't want anybody to feel as if I don't have uh, you know, any form of sympathy for what Aaliyah's parents went through. But what I will say is, 
post them two being together, you guys could have stood up and said, yes, this did happen. And we don't want this to happen to anybody else. And you did not. And that I do not respect. That I am not okay with. Something happened to whereas you guys won't talk about it. And it's either an ego thing slash pride where you just refuse to admit and own that you did something wrong. Or he paid you off. Or it could be both. I would love to hear your side of the Aaliyah story. Um, I'm I'm a diehard Aaliyah fan. Anyone who knows me knows this. I I dressed up as her for Halloween in high school. I was I the day that she died was like the day of my grandfather's funeral. It was a horrible day for me. Um uh, I believe court documents. Because at the time that those came out, Creating fake documents wasn't even a thing back then. Like, it wasn't even, Photoshop wasn't popping like that. Like, <laughs> and the documents actually came out at the time that it happened. MTV actually showed them. But the problem that I have, and this is nothing against Aaliyah, but more against how her parents chose to let this situation unfold, is one, her mom made those claims against um, the background dancer who claimed that she um, saw Aaliyah and R. Kelly having sex. Uh, the background dancer's name was Javante Cunningham. Um, and prior to the series, Aaliyah's mom came out with a statement saying that what the backup singer uh, dancer said was false and she never had sex with R. Kelly and it could have never happened because Aaliyah's mom and dad were always with her at all times. What I thought was interesting was that her mom did not deny the marriage. She denied Aaliyah having sex with R. Kelly, but never denied the marriage because the marriage actually happened. And they didn't have to forge the parents' signatures because they wrote that she was 18. No signature had to be had to be there on their behalf. Um, so if her parents were always with her, like you said, how would that document exist? Um, secondly, the the biggest issue that I have is that I understand that Aaliyah had a reputation because she was an up and coming rising star. And out of all of his victims, she was the most famous one. So the way that things played out for her had a little bit more weight for her reputation than uh, Asante McGee. Um, but the reason why this happened time and time again, post Aaliyah's situation, I'm talking about R. Kelly being able to have girls captive, to recruit young girls, to have them locked up in his house is because at the time that the Aaliyah R. Kelly marriage thing came out, her parents denied it. And so it's like you're denying something that you know happened and you're denying it for two reasons. One, you don't want to ruin the future of your daughter's career. Two, it would look faulty upon you for the world to know that there was somehow, some way, a chance that this could have ever happened under your supervision or lack of. So at the point where you care more about an image of yourself and the image of your daughter 
more than what actually transpired, which snowballed into multiple situations of this happening 10 times over, that's what I have a problem with. Because had Aaliyah's parents just fessed up and said, this happened and tried to take R. Kelly down and tried to open up a different type of dialogue, I don't think that there would be this many survivors. I don't think that there would have been any survivors after that because something would have happened. Something would have been done. And so at that point where I feel like you could have saved so many people from going through this turmoil and you didn't, that's what I have an issue with. So then the other the other child and parent relationship that I brought up was around the girl Rashana Landfair. Rashana Landfair is the 14-year-old girl that was in the R. Kelly sex tape, the one where he pees on a little girl. Now, that was brought up during the surviving R. Kelly docu-series. And in this case, with her parents, Sparkle, who is her aunt, Sparkle was an artist that uh, R. Kelly actually was signed, that actually signed, but used to be like one of his backup vocalists. She felt like her niece had enough talent to whereas she wanted to bring her family, her niece, and the rest of them into the fray with R. Kelly because she wanted to share the wealth in her own words, which is great. I don't blame her. And at this time, um, there isn't something whereas you could... You could just pinpoint like 100% that this is wrong or he's done. Like the Aaliyah thing's already taken place. I mean, she's known R. Kelly since 1989. So she either believes that he's that person or right now doesn't necessarily believe he's that person. When he's when he's introducing, when he's being introduced to her 12-year-old niece. The parents, though, are my big issue here. But... Sparkle being brought up was an issue for Black Twitter. Black Twitter as a whole was very cut in the middle as to was that her fault because she was the reason why her family and her niece was introduced to R. Kelly or was it on the parents? I don't know. I don't know if there's a right answer to that personally. But what I will say is Sparkle made it very clear on two things that made me very uncomfortable about the parents. One, why is my niece, Roshana, here at 12 years old without me knowing that she's here? How did she get here? Right, because her, her niece would go to the studio without her parents' supervision and well, no one well, would be there. Well, her mom was dropping her off and her dad was dropping her off. Mm -hmm. This speaks to what I said again about the opportunities that R. Kelly is presenting to these families and these families are feeling like this is a way out. So however much time she needs to be in the studio and you tell us that, we'll make that happen. Again, where is your parental intuition to go, whoa, 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 It doesn't whoa, exist whoa, for whoa, these whoa. parents. It doesn't exist. Whoa, whoa. I'm confused. I am extremely confused by that portion of it. Because Sparkle's raving the red flag. Like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. What are you doing? Why, why, are, why are you here right now? Why did your dad or mom or whoever drop you off? And then there's rumblings. 
Sparkle hears rumblings. The rumblings are people telling her, hey, it seems like something freaky might be happening between these two. You might want to go talk to them. So Sparkle does. She goes and talks to her brother-in-law and her sister. And nothing happens. That's concerning to me. This goes back into what I'm saying about parenting. What is your one job as a parent? First and foremost, to protect your children. And to make sure that you don't put them in harm's way. What the fuck are you doing? That whole thing tells me everything I need to know about those parents. And then on the back end, when it actually goes to court, because the shit actually went to trial, the P-tape went everywhere, the shit went to trial, that little girl is clearly in the fucking tape. That's her. There is no doubt in anybody's mind that that's her. Including her goddamn aunt, Sparkle. Sparkle's very clear, testifies against it. And what happens? Her family states that it's not. Her family is very clear that it's not. They don't even show up. Remember they said? They don't show up. It was just one other person from the family that showed up and, and then said that it was not. And that tells me everything that I need to know about that family. Because as I said again, with the same thing with the Aaliyah situation with them, there is only two ways that this happens. Either your ego and your pride has gotten away or you've been paid. You tell me which one it is. Because it's the fact that none of, one of you, none of you motherfuckers are saying anything is troubling and problematic. And the fact that Sparkle then says after that, for the next 10 years, I didn't talk to my family. That tells me even further what I needed to know about her family members. Where their, where their priorities lay. And then the fact that I believe Sparkle's brother went to go be the guitarist for R. Kelly for the next four albums that he drops. Your niece was violated by a man. And then you still went and did that. That tells me everything I should know about you. Trash. There's nothing else I could say to that, which is going back to my larger point that I called out in the summation when we opened this. Think about it. Is opportunities more important to you than family? Depending on the person. Yeah, clearly. And I don't know why it took me for this series to know like, oh, there's just some really trash people. They don't care about anything other than their own personal interests. I think that um, I think that R. Kelly has made it. Uh, he's made very, very obvious efforts of the type of people that he targets, and the type of people that he targets are people who may be low income, who may need the money if shit hits the fan. Yep. And on top of that. The the pattern that I see with these parents of these children or girls who are are victims of his is that they find this false sense of security with a celebrity. Facts. Because he's a celebrity. Facts. You're going to trust Joe Schmo who made hits about nothing but sex. <laughs> okay, we had I Believe I Can Fly. But everything on the R album, anything after that, it's all about sex. And you're going to trust your child with them so that they can get a rap career? 
And I think that there is some sort of economical correlation between, um, or I should say correlation between the economical status of a family and the mindset that goes along with it. And I'm, I'm being very general. So I don't want to tie everyone into this, but generally speaking, I feel like if you are low income and you've been surrounded by a certain type of lifestyle, there's certain types of people you've also been surrounded by. And it's almost like whatever goes, goes. It's, it's the survival mentality. And at the point where you're attaching yourself to a multimillionaire, you feel like you've hit the jackpot and whatever goes, goes. And I think that's what happened in this situation. And who had to be the sacrificial lamb for that? It had to be Sparkle's niece. And instead of turning on R. Kelly, they turned on Sparkle. Because now, and this is in relation to the Leah thing, and Sparkle even said it in, in the docuseries, she was ruining the family's image by even testifying. What image did the family have before the tape? I could hug you right now. Nobody even knew Facts. who they were. Facts. So at the point where you're now worried that your family's name is being dragged into something that actually happened that, that's detrimental to how your family looks to whoever else is in your hood down your block, that's what you care about more than your actual child? It baffles me. And I don't even have kids. I don't get it. I don't get it. Everything, and it goes back to what you were saying. It was about opportunity over family. And it's also image over everything. Over right. everything. The image, of R, the image of R. Kelly is he's this multimillionaire who can help people with their careers. The image of these families is more important than any negative thing, detrimental thing that ever has come out of their, their daughters dealing with him times 10. Their image is way more important to the point where they want to hide what has happened and brush it under the rug. And if these families continue to brush it under the rug, guess what's going to happen? America's going to do it too. So when people ask questions about like, you know, this has been happening for so long. I wonder why. You wonder why? Because R. Kelly has paid these families off so that they don't speak. And even if he didn't pay them off, they wouldn't speak anyway because their image is at stake. Whatever false idea of their image that they have in their mind is at stake and they don't want to be tied to it. The, the last thing that I'm going to say about the Roshana Landfair portion of this is in all the research that I've been doing around this, I saw that her and her mom... Um, have been seen out in public a few times. Roshana does not have social media herself. Her mom does. Uh, and there's a lot of commentary on that. Her mom recently went private on social media. But um, people were asking questions like, you know, why don't you see your daughter as much? Stuff like this. Which was, mm. which was, which was like kind of taking me back a little. How I'm did like, they know? Exactly. I don't know if they were friends. I don't know who those people were because it, mm. it seemed like family members and stuff like that. You guys are so beautiful. Great seeing you again. But that kind of stuff. So it's like people that know them directly. Mm -hmm. Now, here's where all that stuff gets like it, it. It like fucked me up because during the Surviving R. Kelly doc docu series, one of the women who was over the age of thirty speaks about. 
meeting Roshana as an adult. It was Lisa Van Allen. No, 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 no. Lisa Van Allen had met her when she was 16. Oh, later on. 17. Right, 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 right. But there was a woman who was in her 30s that met... The Ki- Was it Kitty Jones? I'm pretty sure it was Kitty because yeah. it was 2011 right. when they met. Right, and she recognized her. That's She right. recognized her from the tape. Right, right. Once her friend told her about the tape, she looked at it. And then, and then she- questioned right. him. Mm-hmm. All I'm trying to let you know is, at that point, that means... You've established a relationship with him that's beyond anything. And you are now a part of that cult mentality that I was talking about. That exact that actually exists. There's psychology behind it. And for us to act like that's not a thing is to play dumb. Like we're being dumb that to think that that doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. And it hurt because I went, wow. Wow. You, you, were, you stayed with him, the master manipulator, through all these years. And I don't think it's based on an opportunity anymore after a certain time period. There is no opportunity at that point. Did she become that's the rapper point. that she was supposed no, to become? No, but that's my larger point. It's no longer about the opportunity. It's about you made a choice that this is what you want. That that lifestyle is better than any lifestyle you could have ever given yourself. That's, I don't like that. And that lifestyle is tied to money. Uh, materialistic things, but it's also tied to getting humiliated, getting probably raped, I'm assuming, Um, not having any sort of freedom, being locked in a room for hours, not being able to have a social life, not being able to be connected to the world at all, to your family. So let's, like, I want to give your quick thoughts on these and then we'll transition into the music. So here are some of the people that were included in the, the docuseries. And I just want your quick talk. I'll give my quick thoughts on them. First, Andrea Kelly, his ex-wife, who has, what, three kids with him? Yeah. Um, what are your quick, your quick, what's your summation on her? I saw an interview with her. Mm-hmm. And something that she met, she mentioned in this interview that I don't believe she mentioned in the docuseries was that she grew up. Uh, in a family of of turbulent, violent behavior. Oh, wow. Her grandfather was a pastor or preacher of some church, very, like, looked in high regards, and he was the one who would mentally, physically abuse people. And that's what she was surrounded by her whole childhood. And so something that she mentioned was um, when she met R. Kelly... And he started acting in the way that her grandfather would. One would think, okay, this is not a situation I need to be in. But for her, it brought a sense of familiarity. And for her, she thought to herself, I think her quote was something along the lines of, um, if, a, if a man, how did she say it? She said, if a, if a man of the cloth acted this way, then how can I expect a man of the world to act any better or different. And she was speaking of her grandfather and saying that he was someone who was supposed to be close to God and, and, and had all these ties to religion and, and just spirituality. And this is the way that he was treating his family. So she did not expect anything more from the man that she ended up marrying. She actually thought it was the way it was supposed to be. 
So that to me brought clarity into how she stayed in the situation for so long because I'm like nine years. Wow. I've been in New York for the a little bit longer than she's been married to him. I can't even imagine that. Um, so that's all I have to say about that. I, I think that she's a strong individual. I commend her for, for getting out of the situation. I think that she has this light about her that I would be surprised for anyone to have enduring anything that she went through. And I commend her. And I think it's it's super unfortunate. And I think what's really unfortunate is that her kids have a parent who is attached to this. That is the biggest thing I have an issue with. Um, I think if I could take one thing away from this, as far as a negative thing with her situation is, people that raise kids in turbulent situations, how do you do that? How do you make that decision to have three kids by someone who is this way. But considering her story, I don't think she had much of a choice. Wow. Um, my quick thought on uh, Andrea Kelly is, I think the, the hurt people hurt people thing still stands true, especially in this situation and what happened to her in her past. Um, and then once you once you feel the raft of something and you become acclimated to it and that becomes a level of expectation for you, I wish there was a way to break that cycle. Um, you know, sitting with a therapist could help, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you'll take the leap. Um, the other part of it is um, because she was with the master manipulator, I think a part of me believes that she still loves him and it will never stop. Mm-hmm. I agree and with that. At the point that she still loves him, she says certain things that make me uncomfortable. And not that she's a bad person, because I don't believe that at all. I mm -hmm. think she has a good good heart based on everything that I've seen and all the interviews that I've seen her in. But I do believe that she loves him to the extent that she still says that she will be okay with him being a part of their children's lives. And I'm like, what would make you okay with him being around younger children? Nothing about him tells me that he should ever be around younger children. Nothing. That makes me uncomfortable. And unfortunately, because of things like that, when she says it, I tend to view her as someone who still has been in some way, shape or form brainwashed to believe that that behavior and what he's done is it's not as bad as what everybody else thinks. Mm. That's my thought. Mm. All right, we'll go to the next one. There's a girl by the name of Jehadanda. 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 <laughs> you want to style it out? Sound it out. Jehadanda. Jehadanda. Say that H separately. Jehadanda. You think it's Jehadanda? It's Jehadanda. That's what I thought. Jehadanda. Okay. Jehadanda Pace. Jehadanda. Deronda Pace um, was a super fan of R. Kelly's. So I'm going to give my quick take and then I'll get to you. She was a super fan of R. Kelly's and she was there during his trial. And this was the trial that was around the, the child pornography. And people thought that he could potentially go away for a very long time. It did not stick. She was there through thick and thin. And out of nowhere, he calls her post, you know, the trial and says, 
love to like meet up with you, that whole thing. She talks very openly about what she wanted out of that situation and what her expectations were coming out of that situation. Um, she wrote a book titled A Life Beyond Abuse. And in that book, she details how she had been looking at him for years, wanting him for years, and how in a certain capacity, she knew what she wanted to do with him and hopefully she can make this happen. So she had a manifest destiny in her mind of what her and R. Kelly were going to be. And eventually it would lead to them to having a sexual relationship when she is underaged. 16. Now, people would ask her, if she, if she was to be asked how old you are, he told her specifically, tell people you are 21, but act like you are 18, which is weird to say out loud as an adult. How does a 16-year-old know, know how to act 18 but say 21? I don't know. Shit got weird. So, <laughs> so some people believe, based on that comment alone, that she also wrote the other book. The internet's pegging her for writing the other book. And I don't know if you guys have heard of this. The other book is titled Sex Me, Daddy's Little Freak, which was written by an anonymous person and released out. And if that is true, then what she wrote in the A Life Beyond Abuse book doesn't even come close to giving you a realization and an actual look into her mindset. Because in one book, She's saying, yes, she really was interested in him and could see herself being in some form of relationship with him. She idolized him. But in another book, she was saying, oh, I'm going to get the guy. I'm going to not only get the guy, but I'm going to be the person that goes over and beyond and does all these sexual things because I want him. So it wasn't even about a relationship or anything of that nature. It was about just I want to bang him and whatever it takes to get there, I'm going to get there. Which then kind of leads me down another path of the conversation that I wanted to have with you. And I was having this conversation with my friend and her friend. So it was two, two, two women that I was having this conversation with. And they had conflicting points of views around Miss Pace. Specifically, one of my friends called out the fact that if that book indeed is about her and that other book, specifically the Sex Me book, if that is her book, even though it's titled Anonymous, that tells you, that should tell you all you need to know about her character as a person, whether she is 16 or not. And my friend basically just said, that means she knew what she wanted. That means she was going after that person no matter what. She's like, I've been around plenty of 16 year olds and especially even myself as a 16 year old, I went out of my way. If I wanted sex, I was going to have sex. You aren't going to tell me otherwise. Now, I've even stated, as her friend stated, your cerebral cortex isn't fully developed until you're in your 20s. So you're not making decisions that are sound at the age of 16. So how relative is it that she's making that decision when he still should make the choice to not pursue that? My friend made the, the statement that if that's what you want to do, we can put these fake age barriers on people like, oh, you're 18, you're adult. But realistically, that's not how our society was even 70 years ago. She's like, that just happened. 
So she's like, and in a lot of societies, that's not a thing. Germany right now, the consent age in Germany is 14, and R. Kelly's about to go do a concert series. Are you serious? Over oh in gosh. Germany. Just throw me off a, a cliff. So I'm not, I don't think she's defending R. Kelly's actions at all, but she's basically speaking about the girl and her thoughts and how we're calling this manipulation on R. Kelly's behalf in all instances, but is there another side to this that we're not addressing? Is there another side that we're not talking about? Is there something to what my friend is saying when she says, if you want it and you're going to go get it and there's nothing going to stop you to go get it, why should that other person be held accountable when you're telling them this is what you want? Especially if you're in a consenting state. So if in, if in Illinois, it's 17, the legal consenting age. Mm-hmm. Is he wrong? If in Florida, the legal consenting age is 16, again, is he wrong? I don't know. I feel like it's wrong. But that's because I don't believe that somebody that's that young should be dealing with somebody that's that old. What are your thoughts? I think your friend made an interesting point, which I I, I can actually agree with. Um you're talking about the cerebral cortex not being as mature, fully developed until you're a certain age. And the point that your friend made about 18 being legal, 17 being legal in all these states has no effect on mentally or emotionally what's actually going on in your body. That is factual. That is completely factual. If they change the law for it to be um, 21 is now the new legal age that you can, you know, you're not considered a minor. That's not going to change your cerebral cortex from 16 to 18. You don't think so? I, I don't think it changes that much. I think, think- I, I think the two, two years could be you- very, very developmental between certain ages. I don't believe that between 16 and 18, mentally and emotionally, that much changes. Damn. I really don't. Flat out. I don't. I'm thinking about myself. I'm thinking about myself at 16 and myself at 18. And I, I grew and I, you know, I evolved, but not that much. But There's things at 16 that I would have done at 18. It wasn't like, really? oh, I'm 18 now. I don't do, I can't think of an example, but it, 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 think of yourself at 16 and 18 where you were a completely different person by the time you graduated high school. Were you that much different from two years ago? I had a, I had a plan when I was 16, but I understood better how I could execute the plan by the time I was 18. But emotionally and everything like that, like you're thinking about your future and, and things like that. I'm thinking about emotions as as a, as a teenager. Like you're but still would you, developing. But would you really have been able at 16 to be like, yeah, 100%, I want to fuck that person? At 16, would you really have been able to like, uh, your own mindset, could you have told yourself, yeah, this is what I really want to do? I mean, no. I'm, my thing is a teenager is going to do what they want to do. <laughs> they are. They are. Whether they're 16 or 18, they're going to do what they want to do. But Personally, I don't think your your cerebral cortex has matured until you, you've left high school. Like, and actually probably left your parents' house and have had different experiences that, that you have exposure to for your mentality. So in to your become mind, you're not even it. mature at 18. You're like, nah, you still no. have some. Think of a freshman in college. 
I like how many freshmen in college have have gotten pregnant off of off of a one night stand and had to leave college. So many kids you, drop out from the first from the first semester of college because mentally they are still in high school. So then your eyes, you and my friend would be aligned that it's an arbitrary age. Like we just came it up with it. It is. It is. But it, but it is though. It's almost like marriage is an arbitrary thing. Now we're married, so now this happens. Now this means this. Everything is pretty much arbitrary. The world, what the world tells us, is arbitrary. So twenty-one I, being a drinking age, arbitrary. It is because it, I know you don't. We can't speak on it too much because I drink, but. You don't think your mentality around alcohol would change from 18 to 21, though? I didn't drink at 18. But by the time I was drinking, I was making stupid mistakes a person who hasn't drank would make. So whether that be at 21 or 18, it's arbitrary. Would your decision have been worse at 18? That's my point. Oh, for sure. Well, then what both of you guys are saying is off. What do you mean? It's like, yes. Then if you were two years younger than from 18 to 16, you could be making even worse decisions. No, I'm saying from 21 to 18. But, you asked me, so then you the, asked the, me about but, that. But I'm that saying, same thing can be true for somebody who's 16 to 18. That what? You'd be making even worse decisions if you're two years younger. No, but for me, the, the difference between myself at 18 and myself at 21 was... I had left the house. I was on my own in the capacity that I was off to college across the country. And there was different experiences that I went through that I would have never gone through in high school. So mentally and emotionally, that had grown and that had changed. But if we're talking about drinking, if I hadn't drank at 18, if I did not drink at all at 18, which I didn't, and then I started drinking at 21, what I'm saying to you is for someone who's drinking for the first time, Essentially, you're going to be making mistakes because you don't have the experience to know what how you should be drinking and things that how it affects your body. So that's what I'm saying. I'm I'm just talking about if you're doing something for the first time. 16 and 18 is nothing. It really isn't when you think about it. So if I hear that R. Kelly was with a 16-year-old and then I hear, oh, now he's dating 18-year-olds now because he's working the system and now no one can press charges against him, I'm still like, wow. At 18, you're making sound decisions? (laughs) Are you really? Are you really like, oh, you know what? Your fame doesn't even affect me. You're just a man that I I want to... harbor a, a loving mature relationship with no you're not thinking like that would you be more <laughs> mad if r kelly was talking to your 16 year old daughter versus your 18 year old daughter i would be equally mad for both really because if i was a parent really? I'm, I'm assuming i'm not a parent but what i'm thinking is i feel like you'd kill him if she was 16 genuine i feel like you would i wouldn't kill want him. My daughter of any age dealing with him. Well, fair. But I feel like <laughs> if it was 16 versus 18, you'd kill him if she was 16. This is the thing. School is what brings up this arbitrary thinking of, oh, you have completed school. You are now an adult. You have gone through kindergarten to high school. You have completed schooling. But you answer, are an adult. But answer the question. Are you more? Would you be more mad? If she was 16 no, versus 18. I wouldn't honestly. be more mad. Okay, no, very good. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Okay. I would. 
I turned 18. I'm pissed guess what? Way, but guess I'm what? even more mad. Guess what? I turned 18 the the first semester of of senior year of high school, which means I was still in school. So if I if R. Kelly stepped to me at 18 and I'm still in school, you think my mom's gonna be like, oh well, she's 18. Go ahead. <laughs> I haven't even graduated yet. I haven't even got my no, cap and gown. Well, I haven't even passed no, my finals do, or applied for, for college if your yet. If mom found out he had sex with you at 16, she would probably want to destroy him. If my mom... If, but if, if she found out you had sex with him at 18, I don't think the same sentiment would resonate. I don't think it would be... Oh, you would I have to know my mom. No, but, I, I don't think it would harbor as, as worse. That's all I'm saying. But you know why? In, in a different case, I won't say my mom because my mom... She don't play. But in a different case, why it, it would not bring the same sentiment is because these laws have been embedded in our minds to make us think that after 17 in certain states, what they are doing is okay. Because they are an adult, quote unquote. So the law has told it? us do that our like children are adults at whatever ages they are, depending on the state. And the fact that the age varies from state to state should tell you everything. Do you even believe in the thought of statutory rape? Do you think that that is actually a thing? It's a thing because, like you said, the cerebral cortex is not mature. So now we're comparing a person who has a mature cerebral cortex to someone who is not fully developed, and that person who is fully developed knows exactly what they're doing emotionally immensely whereas that teenager may not know what they're getting themselves into so i can understand the notion of statutory rape being a thing um but to say that someone is actually an adult at 17 or 18 depending on state how are you going to be considered an adult at 17 in Chicago, but in California, you have to be 18 to be considered an adult. That should tell you already that it's arbitrary. All right. <laughs> I what, move what do you on. think? I, I, I believe in statutory rape okay. laws, and I believe that the shit should be, it should be standardized, in my opinion. But I don't think that any guy who's fucking 32 should be fucking around with somebody that's 16. If you don't sit your pedophilia ass down a 32 somewhere. 32-year-old messing with someone who's 17, you could look at them the same way. That, well, me and you... My thing is, if, if someone... If you, if, you, <laughs> if you are fucking around with somebody that's that much younger than you, and, and specifically as a child, that motherfucker is a child. I'm gonna bring up I'm gonna bring up the short example of why this is arbitrary. If you have a 32 year old who's hollering at a 16 year old, mm -hmm. and they're in the state of Illinois where 17 you're considered a legal adult, and that 16 year old turns 17 the next week, all of a sudden it's okay. All of a sudden it is okay that you are dealing with this newly 17 year old who was 16 the day before. Legally, you have that's to what I'm saying. saying. It's arbitrary. Okay. One day you're 16, the next day you're 17, but now it's okay. okay. You know what I'm saying? All right, because <laughs> teach their own. All right, I just want to go into these last few before we transition. Um, so I would love to get your perspective on some of the older women that were dealing with him. 
Kitty Jones, we kind of just brought up, and I want to see what you think about somebody who's older, you know, getting into a relationship with R. Kelly, knowing the history. Hmm. Um, it's funny because I have this high regard for Andrea Kelly, even though she got with him when she was of age. But when it comes to Kitty Jones, as someone who worked in Dallas as a radio personality... who had never seen the sex tape, who never really looked into it, who never really thought of it, I think it's faulty. And I'm I'm gonna sound like I'm victim shaming. That's that's fine. That's fine. Personally, I think it's faulty that you would involve yourself with a man of that stature and never even look into them. You're victim shaming. I probably am. Yeah, that is I probably am. Okay, I'm gonna let and you this just, is, and this just, is why I didn't want to have the conversation. <laughs> this is why I didn't want to have the conversation because it's so there's so many intricate. Let, let me say this: there's so many people on Twitter that feel the same way you do, though. I know, but I would never, so I would never go on Twitter and say, "What's wrong with you, girl?" Because obviously, she's gone through something in her life. To lead her to that situation happening the way that it did with R. Kelly. That's the only thing that I can think of. I think if they took another two hours and went into the the history and the timeline of these victims' childhoods, it would explain everything for me. But because I don't have that information, it's almost like I have questions. Right. And so if I have questions, I should I should not make an assumptions and I should not say, oh, she should have done this. But my questions are why did you not do this? What made you go back to him after seeing the tape? What 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 caused you to do certain things? So instead of victim shaming, which yes, I apologize for doing that, and that's part of the reason why I didn't even want to do this, because I don't want to be that person. Instead of saying, you should have done this, you should have done that, I want to say, why did you do this and why did you not do that? I want to have that understanding. And because I'm not in that position, because I've never been in a position of having Stockholm Syndrome, um, I can say I've been in positions where I've been in uh, situationships or even relationships that were not the best for me. But because I love the person, I probably stayed in the situations longer than I should have. Um, so I can understand that notion. But if you're dealing with someone who's high profile on that end, I think it's intriguing to know why someone would not look into who they are as a person because the information is there on the internet. It's actually there and it's been there. So it, it's, it doesn't shock me. I just, I just feel bad because I think that these older women probably came from broken homes. And they probably came from abusive um, childhood situations that led them to think that being in the situation with him and because of his stature, that this was okay. And that's all I can say about that. And I apologize for victim shaming. I really don't want to be that person. But I have so many questions for these older women who, as you say, their cerebral cortex is fully matured. My thoughts, I'm going to loop, I'm going to loop, any of the older women, and by older women, I mean people that are way beyond the age of uh, 18, anybody who was in their 30s that met him as a full-formed adult. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I'm looping them all together. So let's let's say their names. It's just uh, Asante McGee and Kitty Jones, right? There was, there uh, was Faith, probably one other Okay, person. Faith Rogers was 19 when she met him. Yeah, so she's not on there. But there was one other person that we we don't have down here. But So here's where I'm going to go with this. Um, I think um, to ignore the history or not follow up on it is a miss. That's a miss. That's a fact. I mean, nobody's going to discount that. Uh, when you find when when Kitty and her situation found out, you know that the girl in the tape and found out about the tape and the girl in the tape is somebody that she met. All that stuff should have triggered something, and it didn't. Now, she had been coerced by the master manipulator. See, you know I'm not using his name. She'd been coerced by the master manipulator to believe that he was this nice guy, that he was somebody who was willing to. Be the person that, in her eyes, was what she had been looking for and a partner. Which is something beyond any other person that she had dated before. And there's a certain charisma to that that you can't quite pinpoint. Um, and then that becomes a little dark as time goes by. He starts to really show you who he is. And you either can go along with it or you can push Jump away shit. from it. Now, here's the problem. If that person is a master manipulator, as people are calling him, then he's reached cult status to me. Oh, and if, for sure. And if he has reached cult status, this brings up some of the things that I've been reading about cult leaders. And one of those things is what kind of defines a cult and then what is an ideology of a cult? First off, in defining a cult is a group of people joined together by a common, a common ideology system fostered by a charismatic leader where the expectation is that the people around him can transcend the imperfections of life and live a better life. With that said... Um, Often these victims feel as if they have to set up in their minds a we-they philosophy. The we-they philosophy part of this is something that when I was reading about this, and it's all over the place, and you can read about this anywhere. The, the we-they philosophy is we have the truth and you do not. And basically what that means is... Um, that these people believe that they've 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 converted to a level and achieved something in good faith without pushing back on it and the individuals encouraged to reconcile him or herself to the to the family or the culture that's being created by the cult leader um and all that means is you're going to push anything away that you would know of to be a part of whatever that is because that thing, that charismatic being is telling you that this livelihood that I've created is the best thing for you and I'm protecting us by you being here. Now, some people, some people would call that crazy. Some people would say, oh, are you insane to believe a person like that? But if you've never been in a position where you can be manipulated... I don't want to hear your opinions on the people who have been manipulated. What happened in Nazi Germany is that Hitler manipulated a lot of people. 
So to say that it doesn't exist would be a lie. What happened in concentration camps outside of that? Stalin, he did the same thing. It is possible to do this in small increments. It's possible to do it on a mass level. So anybody that's acting like this isn't real does not understand history. R. Kelly is using his power, his charisma, and opportunity to latch on to people who are, in his mind, weaker, and then exploit them as how he wants to. Now, us looking on the outside of this would say, why don't you just leave? For instance, if you were in the if you're in the house and you're considered a quote unquote sex slave, why don't you just leave? Because he can always say you can walk out and go anywhere you want. There is no doubt that that is something that he's implemented. Whereas anytime you want to leave, you can leave, but they don't. The reason why they don't leave is because of what I just said. They bought in already. And if none of us understand that, or none of us want to do the research on that, then having these conversations is idiotic. I have a question for you. Go for it. Um, so in the same notion that you said Hitler was this type of person. Yep. And and who worked for Hitler? Thousands and thousands of adults, right? More than thousands. Uh, hundreds of thousands, millions. <laughs> I don't know the yeah. exact number. Yeah. So in that same notion, can you say R. Kelly... Master manipulator, mm -hmm. cult leader, yep. had this effect and this control over women and girls of all ages, even 33-year-olds, yep. such as Kitty Jones, yep. to the point where she was a part of his pedophilia. She witnessed well, and, and was a part of having sex with an underage girl. Yes. So at that point, do you hold her accountable for also breaking the law or being witness to breaking the law? Because at that point, based off of what you're saying, mm -hmm. she should be held just as accountable as anyone who worked under him mm -hmm. because she witnessed him doing that and was also taking part in it. Once she found out the age of the person is where her fault starts immediately. Okay. Okay. That's where her fault begins. Even under that hold on, that, hold on. that master yeah, manipulation that's where mindset. her fault begins. In this predicament. Kitty being 30. Right, right. Yeah. She was still involved with underage girls as well in, in conjunction with R. Kelly. He forced her to be in those situations. Well, I won't say forced, but he put her in the, those positions to be in those situations. Mm -hmm. Should she be held just as liable as... The, the law calls for her being held liable. And, but you would not hold her as liable because she was under this master manipulation? If it's up to me, I have to follow the letter of the law to that. I can't go around the law with that. The reality of the psychology behind it would tell you that that's just not her just making that decision. And it's not just as simple as her just going, oh, this is an easy choice to make. Okay. So on that same token, this master manipulator. Yeah who has these cult-like tendencies about him to the point where it's like he can manipulate anyone and use his charm for anything. Yeah. Would you not say that it was a possibility that anyone who worked under him also fell under this manipulation? The same way that Hitler had with his troops. To the point where we now we're, we're victimizing these women because we're saying that these women are victim because they fell under his spell. Can we now say that he had that 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 
power with them, could he not have that same power with these grown adults who work for him? Because he had that power with grown women who had sex with him. I think you can make the case. I absolutely believe you can make the case. So at that point, could we put them in jail? Because we're yeah, talking again, about... Yeah, again, letter, letter of the law versus psych, psychology. Psychology is one part of it, but the letter of the law is the letter of the law. Mm-hmm. So although you might not feel like statutory rape means anything, the letter of the law does. Now, although you oh, might I, I not think like, of... I feel like no, I'm just, yeah. I'm just being it's, clear about general. this. Right. Yeah. Right. So, so you're saying that we could put Kitty Jones in jail the same way that we could put the people that worked under him in jail, even though both may have been under his cult-like spell. Yes. Okay, just wanted to make that clear. Yeah. I didn't want there to be any hypocrisy going on. Nope. Okay. Keep that same energy. <laughs> and just like that, we're going to close it out on that note. That was part one of our discussion around Surviving yeah. R. Kelly docuseries. Listen to part two on episode 40. Good night.